Hello, friend. Welcome to the Whole Word Podcast. This is Pastor Pitts Evans. On this podcast, we read and discuss one chapter of God's Word per episode. Let's go now to the Bible and see what the Lord has for us today. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing, I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. I want to start from the last part of this chapter uh, rather than the first, dealing with women's role in the church at Ephesus at that time, which is, again, the setting, and women's role in the church today. First, ultimately, Paul writes in Galatians that there is no difference between male and female, Jew and Greek, slave and master. In other words, in Christ, we are all the same. There's no difference between male and female and so forth. But Paul was dealing with an early cultural situation in Ephesus where the Temple of Diana stood at the time of his writing, where the female converts most of them had been involved in the goddess worship. You see, in the Temple of Diana, most of the leaders were females. The cultural context was that the women were the spiritual leaders, the men were also rans, if you will. And so this is dealing with a context of people coming out of paganism, out of idolatry and the worship of Diana, into the worship of the one true God. So Paul is instructing the women to be willing to learn. He's saying that they need to take the respectful position of a disciple, not to come assuming that they have all the answers because they were leaders in the Temple of Diana. I think that this is an accurate understanding of the cultural context. Both Dr. Craig Keener writes about this in Paul, Women and Wives, as does the uh, writer of the Passion Translation of the Bible, um, Dr. Brian Simmons. Brian Simmons has a footnote on this 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, In the context of that day, this referred to women arguing with their male congregational leaders. In the temple worship of Diana, the goddess of the Ephesian people, it was most common to have female leaders. For the women who converted to Christ, their only cultural context of worship 
was that the women were the leaders. In the church, however, it was more frequent that the men made up the leadership of the congregation. So Paul is telling the women to be uh, respectful of this, this change in cultures, if you will. This was not an admonition against all women for all time saying anything to a male. I believe that women today uh, in the church can be pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, and so forth. Although some churches do not hold to that, we believe that women can do anything God calls them to. So in our church, for example, I have a a female associate pastor who is more than able to preach, teach, and encourage both females and males. And I think this is the fullness of Paul's message. As I said, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. And so um, uh, in Christ, all of these things stay on this side of the grave in terms of our cultural context, but ultimately we'll go to be with him And there is no male or female, Jew or Greek, and so forth. We're all one in Christ. Now, back to verse 1. Paul writes, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And so for all people, that makes sense. And then he goes on to say specifically for governmental authorities. He says, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may live quiet and peaceful lives. And so we should be praying for those in authority over us in government. I live in Washington, D.C. Of course, it's um, politically polarized into camps of Democrat and Republican. But regardless of who's in office, our job as believers is to pray and petition God for those who are in authority, that we should intercede and uh, thank God for all of those he's placed into positions of authority, because the Bible attests to the fact that all authority comes from God. And so if someone is holding office, whether you like them or not, our responsibility as a believer is to pray for them. And so whether you consider yourself a Democrat or a Republican, and whether those that are um, holding the office are Democrat or Republican, we're to pray for all of those in authority. And Paul gives a reason why, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And so if you want a peaceful life, pray for those in authority. Pray for those in local government, in regional, state government, federal government, etc. Just a quick aside, Lord, we do pray for all of those in authority over us, uh, both on the school board level and local government, uh, mayors and city councils and so forth, for the state government and for the federal government. Lord, we pray for both Democrat, Republican, and we'll add independent alike, that all of those in authority may yield to your will and your desires. We ask that you would bless them. We thank you for them. We ask you, Lord, that you would use them so that we may have peaceful and quiet lives, celebrating all godliness and holiness. And so Jesus uh, instructs us through Paul for these things. Paul continues to write in verse uh, 3, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now that verse 4 says, God our Savior wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. So I want to ask you a question, friends. Does everyone get saved? And sadly, the answer is no. But is it the will of God that everyone would be saved? According to this scripture and others, it is the will of God that everyone would come to be saved. So what's my point? God wants everybody saved, but not everybody gets saved. My point is that because of man's free will, some choose not to come into a saving relationship of Jesus Christ. In other words, there are things in this world that are contrary to God's will that still happen. This is one of them. God's will is expressed in the scripture, 
is that all men would be saved and they would come to the knowledge of the truth. However, this doesn't happen because some people choose not to be saved and they choose not to come to a knowledge of the truth. What is God's will? That all people would be saved. Where is it in conflict with man's will? Where man decides they won't yield to the salvation extended freely from God. In verse 5, Paul writes, There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. This is very, very important, friends. In saying there is one mediator between God and mankind and naming him as Jesus Christ, Paul is telling us by extension that no one is the mediator between you and God, not your pastor, not your priest, not your mother, not your father, not your brother, not your sister. All of us can pray for you, but there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man of Christ Jesus. No man is going to stand before the throne of God and explain your life to God except for the man Christ Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who comes to reconcile us with God our Father. And so any religion or cult or other group that tells you that a man has come as the mediator between God and man, a man other than Christ Jesus, it's a lie because the Bible says very clearly there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say, this man who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And so Jesus is the Savior of our souls. Jesus is the one who reconciles us to his Father. In verse 7, And for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So Paul calls himself a herald, an apostle, a teacher uh, of the Gentiles. He is all of those things and much more. And he encourages us once again to pray. Paul is asking for prayer for those in authority, and he's asking us to pray that we would lift up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, in your church tradition, you may not lift up hands during prayer, but it is a biblical pattern of prayer. It's not mandatory, but uh, Paul here urges believers to pray with their hands lifted up. The hands lifted up, of course, is a position of surrender, but it's also, according to the psalmist, symbolic of the lifting up of the evening sacrifice and the lifting up of incense, which is to be mixed with our prayers. And so in your private devotional life, it is certainly biblical to lift up holy hands in prayer. If your church culture frowns on that sort of thing, certainly you should be able to do it in private before God. And and uh, if you recognize it in the Scripture as a pattern of prayer, you should be able to unashamedly lift up your hands in a gathering of Christians before the, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I just want to finish by praying for the ladies that are listening today and uh, to encourage all of us. Lord, I do pray for the women that are listeners. I pray for my daughters pray for my daughter-in-law and my granddaughters, Lord, that each one, according to your word, is able to become who you call them to be. I pray that each one, Lord, would fulfill their destiny in you. I thank you for godly men and for godly women. I thank you, Lord, that in the days of our flesh, you've separated us into men and women, but these things will not pass beyond the grave. In heaven, we will all be one. There is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. And so, Lord, Even now, may we recognize our brothers and sisters among ourselves as equals, co-inheritors of Christ Jesus, recognizing that the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people, whether male or female. 
All of these things will become clear to us in the proper time. May our hearts be right toward you now in these things. Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Whole Word. It was brought to you by Whole Word Fellowship and the Northern Virginia House of Prayer. If you were encouraged, please share our podcast with your friends. We'd also appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and take a few moments to write a review. If you'd like more information on our church and our ministry, you can go to wholeword.net or wholewordpodcast.com for more information. Thank you again, and may the Lord Jesus bless you today and always.